What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Let's kick this thing off. Eddie Vanderwalt is a financial journalist at Bloomberg based in London with a background in covering commodity markets, an awareness of currencies, and expertise in precious metals trading. He previously was a Bitcoin skeptic, but recently converted to a Bitcoin believer. In this conversation, we discuss the macro economy, gold, Bitcoin, market structure, what changed his mind about the digital currency, and a 2021 outlook. I really enjoyed this conversation with Ed, and I hope you do as well. Before we get into this episode, though, I want to quickly talk about our sponsors. First up is BlockFi. BlockFi has three products. One, you can buy and sell crypto on their crypto exchange. Two, you can deposit crypto and take out a U.S. dollar loan against your crypto collateral. Or three, you can earn up to 8.6% APY in an interest-bearing account. BlockFi also is coming out with a Bitcoin Rewards credit card in 2021. You'll use it just like a normal credit card, but you'll be able to earn Bitcoin back rather than cash or airline miles. I'm an investor, I sit on the board, and I'm a very happy user. If you get a BlockFi account, I think you will too. Go visit them at blockfi.com slash pomp. Again, blockfi.com slash pomp. Next up is Choice. Choice is a new self-directed IRA product that I'm really excited about. If you're listening to this, you are likely part of the 7.1 million Bitcoin owners who have retirement accounts with dollars in them, but not Bitcoin. I was in that situation too. Now you can actually buy real Bitcoin in your retirement account though. I'm talking about owning your private keys and using tax advantage dollars to do it too. It's an absolute game changer. Choice, a self-directed IRA product that allows you to buy Bitcoin, hold your private keys, and use tax advantage dollars to do it. No longer do you have to ask, how do I buy Bitcoin in my retirement account? Use Choice. Go to retirewithchoice.com slash pomp. Again, retirewithchoice.com slash pomp. There's a really long wait list, but if you use that link, retirewithchoice.com slash pomp, you'll skip the entire wait list and go right to the front. Lastly is Tiny. Do you want to sell your wonderful internet business? You have to go talk to Tiny. I can't recommend them enough. Andrew Wilkinson's been on the podcast before, and he's fantastic. Tiny partners with founders to give them quick, straightforward exits that protect their team and their culture. They'll make an offer within a week, they'll close the deal within a month, and they'll keep your business operating for the long term. You can get in touch at tinycapital.com, and they'll let you know within a couple of days their level of interest. The folks at Tiny, they've been founders. They are founders. They know the things you're dealing with, they speak your language, and they understand what you would be concerned about when you do a transaction. They've designed it so that it's painless and also, it's a win-win for you and them. I can't recommend them enough. Go to tinycapital.com. Again, tinycapital.com if you are looking to sell your wonderful internet business. All right, let's get in this episode with Eddie. I hope you guys enjoy this one. Anthony Pompliano is a partner at Morgan Creek Digital. All opinions expressed by Pomp or his guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Morgan Creek Digital or Morgan Creek Capital Management. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, guys. Bang, bang. I've got Ed here with me. Thank you so much for doing this, sir. Hey man, thank you for having me on. I'm so excited. This is uh, this, this thing is an institution on the on the uh, on Twitter. Everybody knows about these podcasts. People were saying, you know, they can't believe you, that you're having me on. 
I was looking at your guests earlier. You've got such high quality of guests that you get on here. I'm, I'm hoping I don't lower the conversation too much. <laughs> You're doing just fine. Let's jump right into your background. Uh, for those that don't know, kind of where did you grow up? What did you do before you got to Bloomberg? So, man, I, I grew up in South Africa. Uh, you can hear by the accent. Uh, I grew up um, a stone's throw away from the from the South African gold fields um, in, in Central South Africa. And uh, I came, I mean, I kind of took this scenic route into, into financial reporting. Uh, I was a photographer, so quite literally the scenic route. Um, that's what I trained as. But I, I very quickly learned that I was into news photography and what I wanted to do was financial news because financial news in a sense is the realest news that there is right because i i know a lot of people don't get that um and they will roll their eyes when i say that but when you talk about finance when you talk about markets at the bottom of all of it is a number and that number is real right sometimes we get the number right and sometimes we get the number wrong and but there is there is a there is a mathematical undertone to the whole of markets and and that's what attracted me to it. So that's how I sort of stumbled my way um, into into finance, financial journalism. Absolutely. And when you first started, what were you covering? Were you covering uh, kind of all commodities, markets? How did you think about kind of your focus at the beginning? Yeah. So let me talk a little bit about the creation to that. So um, I was a, I was a reporter through. 2000 i was i was covering i was covering uh or rather i was a photographer covering um in fact i was covering celebrities i was covering uh, i was doing paparazzi work at that time right i was chasing kate moss on a moped um and then you know but i was trying i was all the while trying to make this progression into financial journalism and basically what happened is pre-2008 this is something that people forget pre-2008 around about 2006 we had this massive run up in oil prices right Oil prices went to $100, $120 a barrel, something like that. And uh, you could see the world economy being squeezed by that. Now, everybody talks about 2008, and we talk about the collapse of the housing market and, and, all, and all of those bubbles in the U.S. And I think those, those things were important. But before that, the thing that triggered the collapse was a squeeze in, in, in consumer demand as a result of, 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 a, of a pressure on oil prices. So that got me in, into commodities markets. So I was, I was really interested in this space. Um, and uh, I got really lucky. Just after 2008, um, I, I started writing a blog on gold and I, and I got this, uh, I got an invite onto, uh, or I, I, I joined a company called uh, The Bullion Desk uh, and they covered purely gold. And, you know, my South African background helped a little bit on that. And, you know, I'm a little bit um, uh, anti-establishment anyway, right? So, so interested in the sort of, in, you know, in, in, in the underpinnings of the gold market. Um, and yeah, that got, me, that got me my break into there. And then from there on out to Bloomberg, where I am now. Um, and I covered, I've covered gold there now for about 12 years, um, but I also cover broader financial markets. Got it. And so you recently had this kind of mental shift, I'll call it. You, you may describe it some other way, uh, where I don't think necessarily you were anti-Bitcoin, but you just weren't as big of a believer in Bitcoin and kind of the future prospects yeah. of it. But that sounds like that shifted a little bit. So kind of talk us through, like, what, how did you think about Bitcoin previously? And then what drove this uh, changing of your mind? Yeah, so um, I think it, it was, it was it, my roots. I started hearing about Bitcoin about 2012 because... You know, we had the first run-up. We were we, we gold, uh, Bitcoin was was just approaching 
the gold price and everybody was talking, is Bitcoin going to overtake gold? So that sort of brought it onto the, the front pages of financial newspapers for the first time, which brought it onto, you know, into my attention. And then I had a, a very close uh, Irish friend who was working in the office and uh, the guy was talking about, you know, putting all of his pension money into Bitcoin. And, and I was a skeptic. I mean, look, but at that stage, if you weren't a little bit skeptical, I think you were irresponsible because it was an asset class that was vibrant, interesting. Nobody knew what it was, but, you know, we've seen some interesting, you know, the South Sea bubble and all sorts of interesting schemes in the past. So at that stage, you are a little bit cautious about it. Um, so I, I remember if people asked me at that stage, I said, look, if I was to play Bitcoin, the way that I would do it is uh, I put money that I'm not afraid to lose in it. And then when I double my money, I'll take it out, right? I'll take I'll take half of it out. So so what's staying in there is free capital that I can I can you know I can watch that accumulate with zero risk to myself. Um, and you know, as it were, this friend of mine um, who had his money in Bitcoin, he put it all in Mount Gox, which went down, and he lost it all. So people forget that. Bitcoin, Bitcoin as an entity has done spectacularly well over the last 12 years. But for individual investors, there were people that lost everything. So it was right to be cautious at the beginning. Um, but over time, as Bitcoin progresses, you know, so I'm sitting here, I, 2012, we've got a run up, we get a collapse. I'm saying, ah, it was fun, it's all over, this thing's going, going away, right? It's, it's dead now, except it's not. Right, we we get up the the, the run up twenty sixteen, uh, the the what was that the second halving, um, and we get another we get another run up um, in 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 prices through twenty sixteen through twenty seventeen, and then it crashes again. But now this time it's gone a little bit more mainstream. I mean, at this point, my nephew's asking me about it, so it's gone a little bit more mainstream. People are aware of it, um, but again, the bubble crashes and and even. Uh, early 2018, probably 2019, I'm, I'm writing pieces saying, look, there is a risk of Bitcoin literally going to zero. And for me, the reason is that it's not about the model of Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin has proven that it is anti-fragile. It has proven that, you know, if society collapses today, 20 years from, you know, a thousand years from now, archaeologists will dig up hard drives that will contain blockchains of, of some description, right? I think, I think it is anti-fragile enough to, 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 to really be su sustainable. And I thought that even then. What I didn't know, what I wasn't sure of, and what, it, what made it a less viable mainstream investment for me was the fact that it was, what hadn't been proven is the demand side of it. The, su the supply side was beautifully designed. The demand side, usually when you see a bubble and you see a collapse in an asset that is that derives its value purely from a network effect, you usually see a complete collapse in the underlying, right? It, it goes to zero. Now, when I saw that happen the first time, I thought, okay, that's fine. The second time, okay, that's fine. When something that you do not expect happens three times in a row, you've got to start adjusting your assumptions. And that's where I am now, because now what has been proven to me is that the demand side for Bitcoin is as, maybe not as stable as the supply side. The supply side is, is, is durable. 
the the demand side is 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 quite durable. It has been for twelve years. It's it's proven that it can sustain several cycles. And I think that's why many financial analysts are are, are addressing their their view. Yeah. And in, in terms of Bitcoin today, obviously a lot of people are comparing it to gold, right? And kind of this digital right. gold narrative. I think it's really interesting that you had this uh, framework where it was like, look, the supply side is programmatic. It's transparent. It's kind of beautifully designed, as you described. Uh, the demand side was um, kind of the question. And so if we zoom out a little bit, uh, we're obviously in a pandemic-induced kind of economic uh, crisis, if you will. And there's been government intervention. There's been all sorts of interest rate manipulation and quantitative easing. Absolutely. Do you think that the confidence that you have in the demand is driven by that macro environment really pushing people to like inflation hedge assets? Or do you think it's something else that has kind of opened your eyes to where that demand um, is and, and will be in the future? Yeah, I think I think I think we're getting into that territory of of, of 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 sort of gold versus Bitcoin, and I think it is a very interesting question, right? Because Bitcoin has been set up to model gold on the supply side, and at the same time has been is a reaction to the fears about fiat currency. But there are big big differences between gold and Bitcoin, right? Um, the first, the first that I would highlight is is that there are differences in how Bitcoin acts at the moment to how gold acts. So let's say, let's say I am a, I'm a either a you know I'm a, I'm a professional investor or I'm investing my old money, right? I've got a portfolio of assets that I expect to act a certain way, and if I have gold in there now, it does a certain job. It has a certain volatility. It has a certain correlation to other assets. Uh, it, you know, it, 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 it acts as a risk on, a rather risk off play. If I yank out the gold and I put in Bitcoin, Bitcoin does a completely different job. Bitcoin is much more volatile. It is much, it, it, its correlation to other assets is a lot different and it's a lot more risk on than gold is. So, so just yanking out one and, and putting in the other one, I, even though the, the debate is set up that way, I don't think that's how most people, I don't, I, I, there are certainly some people, you know, we've both spoken to people on Twitter that have said this, right? I've sold all my gold and I've gone into Bitcoin. And I think that's fair enough. And, and, and this is probably people that, that owned quite a substantial part of their holdings was in gold. So they had a certain expectation for it. And if you are, you are, you are awaiting the collapse of the dollar, system, then that is something that makes sense. But if you are a pension fund manager, then that's not how you look at how you look at your assets. Um, and I think there are other there are other things that they have in common. There are other commonalities between between gold and Bitcoin. Bitcoin uh, there's one thing people forget about gold is that the supply side is almost perfectly inelastic, right? Um, if there's a spike in demand for gold, you don't. It's a little bit comes from the recycling market, but for the most part, the supply, the above ground supply stays stable. And what is there, what is out there, you, that doesn't change, which is which makes it quite a unique asset. But that's something that that Bitcoin does as well. Uh, it, it it's you know it's it's supply stays stable through spikes, and that's why you see these big movements in price. The other, the other two things I'd like to highlight with that they have in common is that 
they quite poor oh the bitcoin the bitcoin guys are going to hate me for this but they are quite they, they they're not great units of exchange right at this moment people don't tend to use them for transactions we saw in 2017 that the network buckled under it and the same for gold you don't you don't spend your gold right you you use it as a store of wealth the, the other main thing that they have in common is that both of them are biblin goods right so a normal good if the price of the the underlying goes up people buy less of it yeah a veblen good if the price of the underlying goes up people get excited and they buy more right we see this in 2017 with bitcoin we see it in 2020 with gold price goes up me on the front page and the retail investor is suddenly saying hey look at gold gold's going up and they, are, they start buying it so so you know um i think that's those are the things that they have in common so you know that makes it that makes it very interesting but when we start talking about this idea of a store of wealth which is the big selling point that i that i hear being pushed for bitcoin at the moment what is this what is a store of wealth store of wealth is something that you buy with the expectation that it will keep its value in real terms right before inflate or after inflation it buys the same amount as it did yesterday nobody's making that argument about bitcoin right people are saying bitcoin is going up now something that's going up in value it's not a bad place to put your wealth it's not a bad place to store your wealth but that's not what we understand with a store of wealth right a store of wealth is something slightly different you know this i'm not telling you anything new but i just i kind of want to explain where my thought process comes from right and 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 how how i see them um so is, so, is so it, where, where and, and real quick is, is it fair to say that uh, your thought process here is gold is uh, much more of a store of wealth type asset and Bitcoin is much more of a asymmetric type asset. Is that a fair characterization of kind of how you think about the two assets? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think, I think Bitcoin is, uh, so, so your potential upside in Bitcoin is spectacular, which it is not in gold, right? In gold, gold's not a great store of wealth either because it, because it fluctuates, uh, really treasury, you know, Inflation-adjusted treasuries is is kind of the only thing out there, or maybe oil. Oil is a better, you know, buy a barrel of oil and store it for five years. You'll have a much better read on inflation generally. But I think, I think the way that I think Bitcoin is 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 um, Bitcoin slightly different um, right now. Bitcoin is a speculative play on the hope that it will someday be gold on the hope that it will someday be and i think that's valid i think it's an important but if you if you're a fund manager or if you're buying shares for your own account or whatever right and you spot this new up-and-coming company right and you think this i mean they you know what's their market you know the annual turnover now is a uh, hundred million or something and you're saying someday this company is going to kill apple right where does that fit in your portfolio? Do you sell all of your Apple shares and buy this company? You don't, do you? What you do is you go, you go sell some of these other venture cap speculative assets 
And that's where it sits. And that's what I'm saying. I'm saying that in a, a well-designed portfolio that, uh, you know, with, with, with various caveats, if you are the person that, that, that has a long enough time frame, blah, 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 both gold and Bitcoin has a space in your portfolio. And they split in very different places. They do very different things. You need to understand what both of them do. But right now, I didn't used to think so. Six months ago, a year ago, I did not think that Bitcoin was a viable asset for a retail, for a for a for a private investor approaching his pension today, I think one percent, two percent, three percent. Why not? Right? Uh, I, I'll tell you what. I used to think that Bitcoin was like a lottery ticket. I could throw money in there and lose it all, and the upside's potentially spectacular. Now, I don't. If if I hear somebody's buying lottery tickets, I'd be like. What are you doing? Put your money in Bitcoin instead. Because, because if you're going to, you know, that speculative money, that money that you're hoping is going to pay off massive someday, that should really be in crypto. Yeah. I, I love the framework that you use. Let's talk about um, kind of the macro environment moving into 2021 and, and kind of the outlook for both gold and Bitcoin. How do you view maybe, let's say, the Federal Reserve and other central banks around the world? Are they going to keep printing money and injecting liquidity? Uh, and how do these inflation hedge assets work? Oh, man. Like they've got a choice, right? I mean, you know, they, they've, they've not got a choice. There is no way that, that, that the central banks are able to let the companies fail that are ready to fail at this point, right? There's no way that that the central banks could just say, look, we, so uh, I don't think there's any question about it. Uh, the, the Eurozone, it feels trapped. Um, it feels trapped in negative rates. I don't see where they're coming out. Um, but, you know, at the same time, uh, have you looked at a, at a long-term chart of, uh, 30-year treasury yields, right? The, 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 the progression since the 1970s, yields have been falling and falling and falling. Ray Dalio is another guy that's big on gold, big on Bitcoin um, these days. Um, big on Bitcoin, but I mean, he's changed his mind. Um, and I think the reason is that they are realizing that yields can only go so low, right? And quantitative easing is a trap that people can't get out of. It's a really, it's it's a hard one. I so the macro environment's difficult. I do think that going into twenty twenty one, you know, we're at the bottom of an economic cycle. We must be because you, you can't you can't imagine a bigger economic contraction than the one we had. And what do you what's historically what's been the best thing mainstream asset to buy at the bottom of an economic cycle? Is stocks. There's always been stocks, right? You buy stocks at the bottom of the cycle, you wait until we get late cycle, and then you, then you get into your bonds. I mean, if you are somebody with perfect foresight and blah, blah, blah. Um, but that's difficult. Um, so I think I think in the near-term macro cycle, yeah, I think we spin we spin higher from here on out. But I but I do think that the central banks have put them they've they've given themselves an interesting trap. Um now. Inflation, which you brought up, whether the whether the market-based measures and the um, and the official CPI, you know, inflation readings, whether those are correct, that's an that's an entirely different different question, right? I mean, things like house prices are not included in there, and 
I don't know about you, but my accommodation is my biggest monthly expense. So leaving that out of the equation is, it makes no sense. Um, but we're at an interesting point. There's, there's, what's the old saying? You know, um, buy when there's blood in the streets. It's a bit crude. It's a bit crude. It feels a bit crude today, especially. But, but I, but I do think that right now this is the moment that the future Ray Dalios, the future hedge fund superstars, the future billionaires, by that point probably trillionaires, you know that generation is being created today. The guys who make the good calls today, they are the ones that we're going to be talking about 10 years and 20 years from now. I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, it's really funny. I just went and looked at uh, a friend of mine or, or somebody I know on Twitter, uh, Charlie Bellello, I think is how you pronounce it. Oh, yeah. Uh, posted this chart, and it was basically the uh, 10-year at, uh, returns of different af- asset classes. And you mentioned about stocks. The U.S. small cap uh, stocks basically returned. It was like 10.9% compounded annually for the last decade. The U.S. large caps uh, compounded at about 13%, and then mm. the NASDAQ 100 compounded at 20%, right, for a whole decade. So all the, all three of those sound pretty good. But then when you yeah. look at Bitcoin, Bitcoin was compounding at over 200% yeah, yeah, yeah. for a decade. And so I, yeah, I think yeah, that yeah. it's really interesting when you start to kind of compare, um, you know, equity-like uh, returns, but basically on steroids, with something like gold, which only compounded at about 2.2% annually for yeah, a decade, yeah, yeah. right? And, and so it's kind of this idea of how much of past performance will we see in future performance, right? And how indicative right. is that versus uh, kind of the belief that, uh, hey, the quote unquote returns in US dollar value uh, have already been captured by those that were early. And uh, and basically from here on out, you know, it, it just goes flat. Um, I tend to think that's not going to happen, but definitely an argument that some people are making. Yeah, and I think I think that's why that's why the the, the wider investment community is picking up on this. Uh, we at Bloomberg we are definitely covering more Bitcoin a lot more because our readership wants it, right? The investment funds they are starting to realize that it's never going to go away. They're looking at these returns. They are salivating because they you know they can't have owning bonds at this stage. You're saying. I'm getting zero yield. How? Where am I expecting those yields to fall to? So I'm looking for alternative assets. Um, and they are looking to gold and they are looking to Bitcoin and they are looking to venture cap and SPACs and all sorts of, you know. Uh, but I, can I ask you a question? Sure. You know the debate, the debate about uh, the Bitcoin versus blockchain, mm-hmm. right? So, so should I be in blockchain companies as opposed to in Bitcoin? Where do you stand on that? Do you think that Bitcoin is the ultimate use case? Yeah, well, so I think there's uh, a little bit of a nuance to this conversation. So uh, there's Bitcoin, there's what I'll call blockchain uh, or protocol-based product services, and then there's the infrastructure companies, right? And so where I've chosen to invest capital uh, and raised money into funds and and went and deployed over $100 million is this idea of uh, putting a very material percentage, double-digit percentage, into Bitcoin specifically, Uh, And then taking the balance of those funds uh, and investing in the equity of uh, the infrastructure companies, right? So uh, you can think of it as um, investing in exchanges like, you know, Coinbase or uh, 
uh, kind of financial product companies like BlockFi, um, kind of payment processors like Zap uh, with their product Strike, those types of businesses, right? Um, but again, the idea here is you want to basically get exposure to an entire ecosystem. And so having direct exposure to Bitcoin, right. the way that I think of Bitcoin, and, and basically we talked about it to, uh, you know, we, we've got public pensions that uh, RLPs in our fund and kind of very conservative type investors was look, Yes, you can go speculate on the price of uh, an asset, a currency, right, like Bitcoin, but that would be like speculating on the price of the U.S. dollar, the euro, the yen, whatever. But the way I view it is those investors are actually getting exposure to Bitcoin, the payment system. And if you think of you know the uh, the annualized uh, or annual transaction volume on the Bitcoin network, it was more than PayPal, Venmo, or Apple Pay did last year. Right, so mm-hmm. last year Bitcoin was used more from a transaction volume standpoint uh, than those three products. Now, if I want to own PayPal, right, the payment system, I go buy PayPal stock, right. If I want to own Amazon AWS, I go buy Amazon stock or Facebook Social Graph, I go buy Facebook stock. But if I want to own the Bitcoin network, there's no stock yeah. to go buy. There's no centralized uh, kind of organization, and so instead, what I've got to do is I got to buy Bitcoin, the asset. Uh, because as demand increases, the price of that individual uh, asset will rise, right? So there's some some uh, causation there. And so I think that becomes a really interesting um, kind of new framework when you get into these like decentralized products or decentralized organizations. And so Bitcoin by far is the winner. No one's going to compete with Bitcoin, I think, when it comes to uh, kind of decentralized um, and separation of state and money. Uh, and I think that's going to be mm. the, the foregone, you know, conclusion or winner there. Now, there's taking those same principles of decentralization. I think you're going to see decentralization across the spectrum. What scares me a little bit in, in kind of, you know, DeFi and some of this other stuff is there's a lot of financial engineering going on. Um, and so it remains mm-hmm. to be seen how um, sustainable are the current iterations. Some of them will succeed. Some of them will fall to the wayside, just like you saw, uh, you know, many other market cycles. Uh, so it'll be interesting to kind of see how this plays out. But I think my highest conviction, mm-hmm. you know, idea is really Bitcoin. And so I've chosen to put, you know, majority of my net worth there and, and uh, also invest a lot on behalf of uh, our investors as well. I'll tell you this. Um, the the idea, we, did, we didn't really talk about the network effect. The network effect, I mean, that is effectively what I was talking about, the 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 demand side of Bitcoin. It, it is, it's, it, to me, is the, it's the, the network effect. And uh, there's this saying in the Bitcoin community that it happens slowly and then all at once. And it it was a bit like that for me because my my initial turning point was when I, I went to a to, I was invited to speak at a conference on Bitcoin in Malta, um, Malta Delta, right? Spoken Mal- Malta Delta, and uh, I went out there, and the I met CZ at Binance. Uh, and I met uh, I met Nick Zabo, but I, I didn't meet him there. I met him somewhere else. Anyway, the point is, I sat I sat in that room with the people, and I was like, the amount of human ingenuity that is being poured into this, it's clearly clearly these people are staking their lives on it, right? Their careers, their livelihoods. It it's a high conviction trade for these people. And I was like, clearly they are seeing something that I am not dismissing it at this stage feels foolish. And then shortly after that, we had the collapse in prices. I think um, I might have got the timeline slightly wrong there, but you know, so if I, somebody, I know what the internet's like and somebody's going to check me up like, Oh, Malta was before or after the crash. So, you know, it's like, but, but, but um, 
the, the uh, and I think that's where I am now. I think I think that I Bitcoin, if you allocate to this space, Bitcoin is by far the front runner. It's the strongest. It's got the network. Getting it being overtaken is going to be really hard. So I think for most people, whatever they decide to allocate, the majority should be Bitcoin. And the rest should be split between whether it's your front runner coins or whether it is, you know, with a massive caveat that this is not financial advice. And you've got to first decide whether Bitcoin is right for you, for your uh, portfolio, what your, you know, how much money you have and when you're retiring and all of those things. But yeah, no, I think we see eye to eye. So this is, um, this has been really useful to me. Absolutely. Let's look at uh, kind of 2021 and beyond. What do you think happens to uh, gold and what do you think happens to Bitcoin? Uh, gold is gold. Gold's going to have a tough time. I feel you think like. so. I think so. I think, I think gold had such a fantastic run up. Um, and you know, you could see it squeeze. Uh, I, I started turning cause I'm not, um, I, you know, I, I, I turned bullish. Uh, my, the, the run up in gold's probably might have been my best financial call ever. I'm so, so happy with what happened there. I, I called gold long. I was short gold. I was, short gold going going into late 20, 2018. And then there was this bit of a short squeeze on COMEX and I saw this as happening. And then people thought, you know, you had the inversion of the yield curve and you had um, then eventually the coronavirus, which was a trigger that nobody was expecting. Um, but I kept my long call all the way through 2000. And at that point, I, I started becoming a bit more skeptical. And I'll tell you why. There are more forces at play in the gold market than purely financial, you know, the, the whole fiat debate. There are, there are other forces at play. And one of those forces is that idea that we were talking about earlier, the Veblen good, the when it goes up, it goes up a lot because people get excited. But people bought into ETFs. ETFs built up three and a half thousand tons of gold. That's as much as a, a year's worth of mine supply. It's significantly higher than was the case post 2008, 2011. And if you look at ETFs, so most financial assets, right? When you see a drawdown in them, you see, you see, right? It's, it's like a, they, they call it a random walk, right? You see one up day, one massive down day, two up days, massive down day, whatever. Um, that's not true in ETFs. ETFs, they, they you, you get directional flow in ETFs. Um, if if one day was up, statistically, the next day is more likely to be an up day than than a down day, right? So that makes gold a trending asset, and that flow has turned lower. We're seeing the fifty-day moving average on the price turning lower. We're seeing the hundred-day turning lower. I don't know. I've I've, I've I'm not winning many friends either in the Bitcoin market or in the gold market today, but I feel like, um, I feel like gold, you know, gold's going to test the low 1700s um, and maybe 15. Yeah. I tend to think that uh, gold is not going to have as great of a run as Bitcoin, obviously, but uh, no. I, I also tend to think that people are underestimating uh, this idea that an entire generation of people are basically dropping gold and going to buy Bitcoin, uh, whether they should or not is, is uh, up for debate, but they're going to do it. Uh, they're already starting so. to Long do term. it. And, uh, and I also think what becomes really interesting is uh, this idea that 
you know, Bitcoin's market cap today at 350 billion, give or take, uh, and gold sitting at eight, nine trillion, uh, those are going to flip. And not necessarily just because Bitcoin's going to appreciate a bunch and kind of eclipse gold's market cap. Uh, but I also think gold's going to help it out by having a contraction in that market cap, um, you know, over, over some period of time. And it might not be significant, but, but I definitely do think we're going to see that capital shift. Uh, and, and it's just the classic, you know, when, it, when an idea's time has come, uh, there's not going to be any stopping it. And I think that uh, it's just captured the mind of an entire generation. Never fight youth because they're going to outlive you. Yeah. <laughs> Never, I love they, that. You know, that's honestly, that's my philosophy now. I'm like, if the young people are going to do something, I mean, I'm going to be old and dead and they're still going to be doing it and telling them not to do it's pointless. Um, so I honestly, I think so. I think, I think you're right. I think eventually something like Bitcoin becomes the store of value for the internet generation or the, you know, the, the, but, 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 but all of our assets are digital. Why should our stores of wealth and Bitcoin has proven that it is not going away. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm completely on board with that idea. I, uh, I couldn't believe any more than, uh, than you. Uh, all right. Let's get into uh, the uh, kind of final questions. I ask the same two questions to everyone before I wrap up, and then you'll get to ask me one question to end it. Uh, the first is, what's the most important book that you've ever read? Gosh, um, Jonathan Livingston Seagull. Why that one? So, so the book comes in two parts. People, it was it was a book that I read when I was eighteen, and it was it was it it changed my life. Right, the book comes in two parts. The first the first half says that. The purpose of life is to seek, seek perfection. And the second half is that the perfect thing to search for is love or to, to, to perfectly love. Um, a lot. Yeah. And, and uh, so funny. I was um, I was playing tennis with my kids the other day and uh, I um, started raining. And there was a homeless guy sitting under bit of shelter and we, we went and you know found shelter with this homeless guy and he had this book it was like two weeks ago he had this jonathan livingston seagull lying there and i was like well, it was just such a flashback to this moment when i read it in my youth anyway thanks for that question i really enjoyed answering it <laughs> I, I, I love that story uh aliens are you a believer or a non-believer mm, wow Aliens among us? No, but the universe is so big. How can you not? There's got to, if there's not something out there, by God, are we special? Right? <laughs> you know, that, that tends to did be you, my thought see, process. Did you, yeah. Did you see, did you see, um, Elon Musk's uh, tweet the other day about the great filter? Right. Uh, that really got me thinking. Anyway, I loved it. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, I, there's got to be life out there. For sure. Uh, you could ask me one question to finish up. What do you got for me? If you couldn't invest in cryptocurrencies, where would you put your money? So my whole investment philosophy is basically go to uh, the edges of society and uh, find the contrarian ideas that are going to become consensus ideas. And so pretty much uh, I hold very few traditional assets. I own no public stocks other than GBTC in a retirement account. Uh, I hold a little bit of real estate, but nothing uh, that's really you know significant. Uh, pretty much everything is in um, Bitcoin and in early stage startups. And I think the, the thought process... Uh, somebody who's a, a very well-known angel investor once told me, he said, look, 80% of his net worth is in uh, early stage startups. And the way he thinks about it is he's basically went out and found the most creative, uh, smartest, ambitious teams that he possibly could. And he's given yeah. them money and tasked them with growing his wealth. 
And so I tend to think that that, uh, that philosophy aligns a lot with me. Um, and it's just this idea of uh, looking for highly asymmetric type payoffs, right? Uh, I'm a young guy, I could take the risk. And, uh, and I tend to think that's a, a, a pretty strong way to invest. So it'd either be just more early stage startup investing, uh, or maybe I'd focus on a specific sector that's uh, contrarian today, but likely to become consensus over time. Can I ask you another question? Can I sure. shoot? Sure. Okay. So, so listen, um, basically, I look at your media platform and your presence, and I'm slightly awestruck by the fact that you are able to build up this, you know, because you have a loyal, informed, um, intelligent audience that are, that are, you know, highly engaged, and you did it without the backing of a media name, which, you know, it's, it's one thing to, 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 to get a couple, you know, a, a few Twitter followers. If you, if you've got the backing of the BBC or Bloomberg or whatever, it's another thing to do it all off your own back. What's the secret of your success, man? Yeah. I don't know necessarily uh, if there's some secret, right? It's just years and years of doing the same thing consistently. Uh, and I also think the, the one thing that helps me is, um, you know, there's a lot of people who create content on the internet. There's very few people who also at the same time, uh, are investing, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars into companies and, and, uh, cryptocurrencies, et cetera. And so I always tell people like, it's, if you're just creating content on the internet and you've got no substance to back it up, then basically you're no different than the talking head on television, right? Cause they're doing the same thing. They're sharing their opinion, they're creating content, but they have no kind of skin in the game. I think for me, right. um, having that substance and skin in the game, uh, and then having, you know, some pretty early success there where, uh, a couple of companies I invested in very early in our life cycle end up being worth over a billion dollars and, and kind of all of that, uh, lends legitimacy to what I think. Now, again, I'm wrong all the time, right? Just like everybody else. Uh, but I do think that that stuff kind of helps um, and it replaces the need to have the backing of a media organization because you basically have the backing of, um, you know, kind of the investment activities. And so, right, uh, right. you know, I'm, I'm figuring it out alongside everybody else, but uh, uh, so far, so good. Yeah, well, you're doing it faster than most, I think. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, where can we send people to find you on the internet or find uh, more of your work? Hey man, um, just being on here is fantastic for me. Um, they can find me on Twitter. I'm at Ed Vanderwalt. It's not the easiest surname to remember, but I'm I'm Ed Vanderwalt. Uh, if they want to look me up, um, yeah, that'd be great. Thank awesome. you. Listen, thank you for taking the time to do this. I'm uh, I'm excited that we've got you on the uh, on the Bitcoin train now. So keep up uh, keep up the good work. <laughs> and we'll have to do this again in the future. <laughs> thank you.